You are listening to ACPN. Do you have that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? Hello and welcome to the Emerald City Video Podcast. This is your host, Russ Burlingame, and today we've got a very special episode for, well, for a few reasons. The first reason, and the one least likely to impact our listeners, is that this will be the final episode recorded and edited on the trusty MacBook that has been with me since the start of the series. It's a work machine, and the corporate overlords of the day job have seen fit to outfit me with a new one that's about seven years newer than this. So, farewell, old friend, I'll probably forget within you know, weeks. Secondly, you might notice that I'm flying solo on this adventure, and that the sound is kind of all over the place. Today's episode features an interview between myself and the guys behind The Last Blockbuster, director Taylor Morden and producer Zeke Cam. Originally, Zach Roberts and I recorded this, except that apparently we didn't and the audio was lost. These good folks that have a Kickstarter to promote, you can find that at the link in the show notes, and I encourage you to back it. But uh, rather than try to find a time where all four of us could be free and risking another technological mishap, we trimmed it down and just got it done. And yeah, I kind of glanced over it, but for the first time since I talked to Joshua Halfialkov and Tony Fleeks about Jeff Steinberg, Champion of Earth, way back in Episode 5 or so, we have an interview on the show. Exciting times. Last but not least, this is the first episode where ECV will be featured on ACPN, the Art, Comedy, and Pop Culture Network. You can check them out at theacpn.com, and they're good folks. Before I ever applied to be part of this collaborative circle of shows, I followed them on Facebook for quite some time and enjoyed a lot of the material that they put out. If you like what we do here, you'll probably like at least a few of their shows, which include Rewind Cinema and the Retro Cinema Podcast. The Last Blockbuster is a documentary expected to be released in early to mid-2019. It centers on the final surviving Blockbuster video store in Bend, Oregon, but also talks about the video industry as a whole along the way. Taylor and Zeke were kind enough to carve out some time for us, you know, twice in a week. So please enjoy this interview, even if the audio quality on this conference call is not exactly the stuff dreams are made of. And of course, be back here by noon on the fifth day for more ECV. I guess a good starting point, because we talked about this late in the other conversation, was how you kind of came to be the guys to tell this story. It's a story that, like, everybody wants to tell, but you guys were already in the middle of doing it by the time everybody else got the bright idea in their head, basically. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. started last year, and there were still a dozen or so blockbuster locations left, and we started filming this thing, and I thought, you know, it's a cool story. There's not very many of these stores left, and we'll maybe watch as they slowly start closing one at a time, and that did start happening, and then kind of all of a sudden, it got sprung on us that the one here in Bend, Oregon, where we live, is going to be the very last one left, and that gave us a sense of urgency and, like, a renewed sense of, oh, this is going to be a great story, mm-hmm. and so, you know, yeah, we were already working on it, but the story has changed since then. Taylor said to me, how cool would it be if we finished this film? in time that it was actually on the shelves at the last blockbuster. I was like, yes. And meanwhile, the owners are so, uh, are, are so involved with your, with your project. I feel like they, they try to stay open just for that. 
don't think we're in that kind of power. You might. You might. But they have no plans of closing right yeah. now. You know, it's, with all the media hype, they're actually doing better than they had been prior to this. You know, it's a tourist destination now. Yeah. On top of being a cool video rental place. Yeah, actually... One of my favorite things about this... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to anecdotally back you up by saying one of my friends who lives in Massachusetts recently sent me a photo of her wearing one of the t-shirts at the store. Nice. <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite things about... Yeah, it is. There's some guy from... A couple guys from, I think, San Diego drove up. It's like a road trip. Yeah. Somebody uh, came out from Florida. But the, the nice thing is people come out because it's funny or it's cool or they have really, you know, fond memories or whatever. But then they go in the store and they're like, this is better. Like, yeah. Why did I stop doing this? Yeah. You know? And then if they live in town, then they start coming back. Yeah. I've started renting movies there since we started this project. And it's just better. It's like a more pleasant way to enjoy movies. Yeah. Well, I was I was talking the other day with my wife about the fact that we are now such a kind of convenience-driven culture that, yeah, we have everything at our fingertips, but, like, we finished dinner on her birthday, and we were like, man, we got, like, an hour with the babysitter. Is there anything to do in a small town that takes an hour anymore? No, because, like, you used to go walk around a record store or walk around a video store or walk around a bookstore, and all those things are closed. One of the uh, One of the things that we talked about last time was the fact that as much as anything else, your film has become about kind of the people, not just like at the blockbuster and bend, but the like the customers and the people who have history with like the brand or the franchise or even just the concept of the video store. Was that always kind of baked into your uh, to your concept, or was that something that kind of came through once you started talking to people and hearing their stories? Definitely, once you meet the people and you find you know who the characters are. You have to explore that. And so if we thought maybe it was just going to be about this one store, but then it be interesting people. Like, we just talked to the guy who owned the Alaska stores that closed prior to this one. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's such a character, we had to include him. It sort of expands that way. And he says, you know who else you got to talk to? And so on and so on. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. Yeah. Like, I remember, sit- yeah, go ahead. I, remember. I remember sitting there and we were like, so many people have worked at Blockbusters. Some of them must now be hilarious, interesting, whatever, celebrity, something, you know, have a really cool job. Let's get their take on it. Right. Because it was so pervasive as a business. You know, you can't have 9,000 stores, each with, I don't know, 25 employees. employees. You know, that's a lot of people. And if it's people that already love movies, a lot of them are going to go into the movies. Now, we talked last time about, uh, I, I, Paul Shear, I think, has been on some of your promotional material, but there's some other folks, too, who, like, really got into kind of the nerdiness of it when you talked to, you know, ostensibly really cool, like, Hollywood people about this stuff. Do you find that these conversations are, like, that they are largely kind of so nostalgic that people take on a very different view of kind of the video industry than they would have back when it was a thing that was thriving. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's gone now, so people miss it. You know, if you ask somebody back when we all went to Blockbuster every week, what do you think of Blockbuster? They'd be like, I don't know, I just go there. That's 
Sorry, I get my copies of, I know, whatever movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish they did this different. A lot of right, right. A lot yeah. of people complain, you know, all oh, the late fees or, oh man, I, you know, I went there and they didn't have any more copies of Princess Bride, so I had to get Princess Bride 2. Not even a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a blank tape. It's just a blank tape. I can't believe it. Or I forgot to rewind, and so they charged me dollar ninety nine just to rewind the tape. What is that even? The guys at the counter like, really look like Jack Black in most deaths. Now and they miss it, even though it wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. It was just part of everyone's lives that isn't there anymore. Yeah, there's something simple to it that manage of as they should, and you know then it's gone and things get complicated. It's easier now, but in a lot of ways it's not simpler. Mm-hmm. You know, like going in there. The first time I went in back into the blockbuster, like. A lot of people, I think, that drove by it, I thought it was just they hadn't rented out the space in years, and the blockbuster sign was still up. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that there was there was how many ever thousands and thousands of videos in there. I had no idea. I thought it was closed. I didn't know there were any more blockbusters. And then when I went in, it smell sucked me right back, and I was like, I was waiting for somebody, and I was like, I picked up a. You know, I saw a cover that looked interesting. It had a, a, uh, an actress that I liked that I didn't know about that specific movie. And I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, oh, I should uh, I should see if it's on Netflix. <laughs> I should rent it. <laughs> I've seen some people in the store who have been spending so much time there. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I've seen a family will grab a bunch of movies, and the parents will tell all the kids, you know, like, all right, now check which ones of those are on Netflix. We're not getting those. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the other one. Which is funny. They pick them up, they physically browse, and they find them, and then just search if it's on Netflix. Yeah, I think if this movie's successful, in five years, Netflix will have storefronts with empty boxes just with the cover on it. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that reminds me of my, my wife used to manage a uh, Barnes & Noble, and she would tell me all the time that they would have customers who would come in and they would have the Amazon app open, and they'd just be, like, scanning barcodes to see where they could get things cheaper. Yep. It's similar, except that Netflix, you know, for as convenient as it is, it has, like, a tiny fraction of the movies that even the blockbuster here in Bend has. You know, yep. they, you can't get, you know, the Mighty Ducks 3 mm-hmm. on Netflix, but they got two copies of Blockbuster, so... Yeah. And they're always available. <laughs> Mighty Ducks 3. I don't know why. I, you know, I, I feel like once they got to, once they get ri- got rid of that guy who plays Foggy on Daredevil, it was just not the same. That's true. Wow. That is a deep cut. That is a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> but he is the best part of both the Mighty Ducks and Daredevil, so there you go. I guess one of the things that I find really interesting about this, like, we, we talk, obviously, about kind of the culture of video and like the relationships that we had with people uh on the store or on the, the show a lot a lot of the time we talk about that as a thing that's kind of unique to emerald city but i feel like one of the things you see at the footage from bend and in some of the, the kind of testimonials in your trailer is the fact that the the bend blockbuster store doesn't feel like the typical like evil corporate blockbuster store that it's very much a 
like a family-owned video joint that has a Blockbuster logo on it. It always has been. It was never a Blockbuster-owned store. Mm-hmm. Not for a heartbeat. Right. Blockbuster had two types of stores. Right. They had corporate stores that were owned by Blockbuster, and then they had franchisees, and then later licensed. And those were independently run, and in a lot of cases, family-run local video stores that, um, you know, when Blockbuster started spreading everywhere, they gave people a chance to change their name mm-hmm. versus being run out of town. It's like if Starbucks called your coffee shop and said, listen, you can either change your name to Starbucks or we're going to run you out of business. Yeah, and that's, and that's not exactly how it went <laughs> Yeah, you'll, you'll get access to cheaper beans. Yeah. You have our name on it. Right. To our, you know, to our brand, all that stuff. But, uh, you know, and actually they got... The franchisees got a better deal, I think, than most franchisees get uh, in the world of that sort of thing. They uh, were allowed to make all, pretty much all their own decisions. You know, there were restrictions regarding the brand usage, but if they didn't want to do a promotion that the block, main Blockbuster was doing, they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could charge whatever they wanted to charge for rental. If they want to charge more, they could charge more or less. They could charge less. Do you know if they were allowed to have, like, an adult room or if that was a thing where they were like, no, that damaged the brand? I'm not uh, sure on that one, but my guess would be no, because that was a very, very strict rule at Blockbuster. Yeah. Right. They weren't even allowed to rent Like, Showgirl, when it was in 17, they had to make their own R-rated version. Yeah. Yeah. That was, just, that was, that was a huge profit driver at, at our store, and I think it's probably why a handful of indie stores continued to do business long after Blockbuster started to flag. And so... I'd never thought about the prospect of a blockbuster having one before, but it was just a question that made sense. Couldn't be because families would send their kids. You know, yeah. The teenagers were allowed to go hang out. Like, you know, you weren't allowed. At least I wasn't allowed to go downtown and hang out on the streets or whatever. But your parents would let you drive to blockbuster, spend two hours searching for a movie, and then go home. Mm-hmm. It was like a place you could all go hang out that you know parents thought was fine. Yeah. If they had an adult yeah. section, yeah. it would be different. Yeah. And the manager would never consider yeah. it. Yeah, ever. Every, uh, every article I read that mentioned this subject said that it was from the very beginning that was one of the things they did to the most different. That they would never have that. So, my guess is that, uh, it was, that might have been one of the few mm-hmm. rules franchises. Yeah. There's probably a lot of rules, but, but, uh, we interviewed Mm-hmm. He actually owns, did he say 36? Uh, oh, it was over 40. And it's max. Well, maybe it was 46. Maybe it it might have been. Whatever it was. And a lot of them were in quite Texas. A, quite, yeah. Yeah. And, and the biggest uh, one. Yeah. He owned more franchises than anyone else. Very fascinating interview. Um, we're going to actually put an update on our Kickstarter for backers only to show a couple clips of, uh, of his interview. Really interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And clearly, 
15 years. She's a manager. Amazing. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. And she knows how to do it. It's not an accident, you know? Yeah. It, it's funny. Yeah, I, that's 9,000. Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like 15 years ago, I actually worked at a Blockbuster. So that's <laughs> Maybe you worked with Sandy. Maybe you were in some of the same meetings. One of the things, actually, I wanted to ask about that I don't think we talked about last time so much was uh, you are obviously, uh, by you, I mean Taylor, uh, you're in post on your other documentary, I think, right? Uh, how How crazy is your life now that this story has blown up and the sense of urgency has increased to get the blockbuster thing done? Uh, it's completely crazy, and if anyone else out there has made a documentary film, they know that it's is more than a full-time job, and the prospect of doing two of them at the same time literally insane. But <laughs> we're very fortunate the Ska documentary that is in post right now was very successful on Kickstarter, and so I'm able to hire some people to pick up some of that slack and, you know, put more attention into this blockbuster one. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the timing, it, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked to wait and make this blockbuster movie next year, but yeah, it's going to be a fun uh, tour of film festivals next year. Yeah, I, I'm going to say that having two docs out competing with each other—that's my goal. <laughs> both in the same set <laughs> and fight and fight, <laughs> like putting your children against each other in a cage match. Well, I mean, we talk I, I don't have children. Well, it's, it's probably not like. I mean, the cage match thing is pretty much just every day. Boring. Yeah, Yeah, that'd be a really boring cage match. One child in there. Kids are quick game boy, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I I, I see them on kids' t-shirts, so why not? Uh, (laughs) And one thing we did talk about last time is is you kind of, you're you're building almost a, you're building yourself up as this kind of uh, 90s expert now because... You're, you're, the Scott film is specifically about Scott in the 90s, and then as you're in post on that, you're shooting a movie about Blockbuster. Um, right. You should be out. He is a yeah. You walk around there, and I bet you I can predict what his next six films are going to be. <laughs> Probably true. I got some love for the 80s and the early 2000s as well, but oh. 90s, man. Do you feel a little uh, a little ahead of the curve right now? I feel like I'm just now starting to see some of the 80s fetishes and turning to 90s. Yeah, I've seen it for a little while, I think. It's usually like a 20-year nostalgia cycle. Mm-hmm. I think every, everybody longs. It's also when the people who were teenagers then, you know, grow up and start making things. So, like, yeah, everybody who was into going to Blockbuster 20 years ago is now making movies. <laughs> from what we can tell, yeah. from all the other people who have approached us to want to help with this movie and want to, or wanted to make it and we need them to it, mm-hmm. it's all... You know, people our age, and, and that everybody longs for whatever life was like when they were in their teenage years or early 20s. Yeah, back when it was simple, before you had a mortgage. <laughs> yeah, and the 90s are a particularly interesting nostalgic time because it was the last, the last time before kind of the internet took over everybody's lives. And everything yeah. that everything became recorded. Yeah. yeah. Digital and recorded. Yeah, you can't really make a documentary about 2010 because all that footage is out there for the whole world all the time. Yeah. You could probably write an algorithm that would just search the yeah. internet and make it for you. Huh. Yeah. So, that's an 
There you There's go. something lovely about grabbing a VHS tape and ripping it onto a computer and putting it into a documentary. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, probably nobody's seen that footage for 20 I recently posted one of the Blockbuster Hot Picks trailer reel cassettes to oh, nice. the VHS, the Hot Picks VHS from the week that uh, Letterman's first CBS show aired. With the film itself, was it tough kind of coming up with a structure for, because it, it's a very broad, you know, we talked about last time how it's a very broad idea, because it's not just about Blockbuster, it's about kind of the changes in culture and it's about the video culture in general and things. Has it been tough to kind of come up with a structure that makes sense without cutting stuff that you think is like, oh my God, this is really good? Um, I don't think so. I think that, you know, if you're a storyteller, the story gets you, you know? Mm -hmm. like, it kind of comes to you if it's a good story, which it is. And, you know, I think anybody could, could think of the broad strokes, you know, that something didn't exist, someone came up with an idea, it became hugely successful, something went wrong, and now there's one left. Somebody else came up with like that broad idea. Yeah. Yeah, the broad strokes are pretty straightforward. And the nice yeah. thing is, the best stories are told through characters. We've got access to some really great characters. Yeah, and they were all there for all of that story unfolding. Yeah. yeah. And we're able to look at it. And we have this unique perspective being here in this town where the last one is. You know, it's not what people think. Right. And so that, it's pretty clear to us what the, what people expect the story to be yeah. and ways we could kind of prefer that and tell a really interesting, funny, upbeat kind of story that people are going to be entertained by, but also learn a couple things. And yeah, it's just, it's just a yeah. fun way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's our goal with it. Get it out there and get people to go, oh, yeah, you know what? Things were kind of better then. Oh man, that's kind of interesting. And oh, those people are funny. And I kind of would like to go to Bend, Oregon. Yeah. I have this nice, happy feeling inside now. Yeah. Yeah. Filmmakers. So as we look at all the stories, we try, <laughs> try to pick out what is, what's going to make it into a 90-minute film from, you know, dozens of hours of footage. It's really just that. Like, is it entertaining? Is it interesting? And is it something that we feel represents the, the right tone for this piece? Mm -hmm. It all kind of presents itself, I think. One of the things we did talk about last time was the idea that the advent of streaming means that special features are basically non-existent anymore. Uh, oh, man. So uh, are you guys looking towards, I mean, I know you talked a little bit last time, but like I said, we, we screwed that up. So <laughs> uh, what are you guys looking towards kind of putting on the DVD uh, that uh, that won't make it into the film itself? Well, the main thing we're putting on there is the entire first podcast that we did with you. Just in it. <laughs> We were recording it, little do you know. Now, uh, yeah, just 90 minutes of silence. <laughs> oh, lots of deleted scenes, lots of extra stories that don't quite fit in the, the overall narrative. Um, I can't imagine people would be interested in the director's commentary, but I've always loved them, so you never know. Uh, we've, we've, we've actually been doing some of those on here. Uh, oh, cool. That's a, that's a thing that's, like, we, uh, there was a movie called The Jurassic Game, which is, the Hunger Games and Jurassic Park all mashed up into one seven hundred thousand dollar movie. And amazing that they found a way to spend that much money on it. <laughs> but uh that's uh yeah, so he uh uh the the guy who uh, the guy who made that movie 
came, actually listened to our podcast, commented on our review, and then I was like, come on and do a commentary track for this for the DVD. <laughs> I don't want to watch that movie, but I do want to listen to the commentary. Will I be missing much if I just listen to the commentary? It's it's hard to say because there's a lot of like it's like wacky. Because I say it's Hunger Games and and uh, I say it's Hunger Games and uh, Jurassic Park, but there's like a healthy chunk of death race in there. So like you'll find him just like talking about like stuff that it's like if you're expecting it to be dinosaurs and and whatever it, like it's going to be like what is he talking about? why is he talking about this reality show for like 10 minutes <laughs> oh you to delete there's death rates in it yeah yeah uh yeah and we actually just uh because because of that that was our most recent episode was looking back at the 2008 death race movie because we're just like we watched jurassic games and now we want to watch the real thing I'm not gonna lie, I have the Jurassic Games trailer up in front of me. It's muted, so only yeah. audio, but I definitely want to see the movie. I will say the one thing that's really good in it is like the principal antagonist is is just hugely enjoyable. Is it this person with a skull on his head? No, it's the sixteen year old girl. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have audio on Yeah. There's yeah. dinosaurs and a man with a skull on his head. But he's in a very nice Yeah, he that's the that's the host of the reality show. Put the trailer for that in our bonus feature. There you go. I, I think I that I. Thinking about that for our VHS, we got to put some trailers on our that, VHS. That's true. That people have to fast forward through. So we're gonna reach out to like really quirky indie filmmakers. Be like, who wants a trailer on this thing? And I think, oh yeah, I mean, the games is about the perfect kind of trailer to put on. Yeah, well, you should, uh, at, a, at a bare minimum, I assume we'll see the the trailer for your other movie on the front of the VHS. Oh, that's fun. I should do that. That's a great idea. <laughs> Definitely that. Now, yes. <laughs> and I sh- the chance we'll actually have a little bit of free time when this is coming out and we'll shoot some fake trailers. Yeah. That'd be great. I like that. That's See, I uh, I actually backed at the VHS level, so I'm 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 excited to see what you do. There's definitely going to be something that we do that's only on the VHS. And we don't know what that is right now, and maybe it's Take trailers. Maybe there's something after the movie yeah. on there, but maybe we'll maybe we'll have someone famous read all the angry comments about people who don't want to spend the extra money to get the VHS but still want a VHS. <laughs> Great. Then okay, we'll just name check everybody who complained. <laughs> the internet is very angry that, that we have a Kickstarter going and we're asking for money because they think we are blockbuster and we had billions of dollars. Right. We're indie filmmakers. We have zeros of dollars. Also, Blockbuster no longer has billions of dollars. I don't. I don't know if anybody told them. <laughs> they filed for bankruptcy. So being mad that we're this corporation asking for money is like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. This is like Walmart asking for money. Right? What? Yeah. No, it's not. Walmart's still in business. There's millions of Walmart. Yeah. You're crazy. There's one Blockbuster, and I think they. You know, they can pay their staff, but I don't think they're making a whole lot of money. No, not a lot of extra. Well, uh, the internet is a lovely place filled with brilliant people making smart decisions. <laughs> warm-hearted. Warm-hearted, lovely people who just want to be kind to everyone all the time. Yeah. I feel like... Especially if they don't know them. I feel like that should be like, like a pull quote on the back of the VHS. You're never gonna see this. It's VHS. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, 
I'll start wrapping in the, in the general direction of up so that you guys can go, but, uh, what- I would like you to start wrapping. Uh, I, I'm ter- I'm, I'm very, very white, so I- yeah. <laughs> So far, you started off with a strong line, let's go to the second one. Uh, very white. <laughs> uh, Perry White? I don't know, it could be a Superman rap. Uh, Superman <laughs> White with white. You guys! Uh, he is a terrible rapper. It's true. Uh, no, I'm waiting until I hit him. <laughs> well, beyond well beyond the, the VHS, what do you guys uh, what do you guys have out there on the on the the site? I know that the thing that I had written up is that there is, I believe, just one slot for somebody to pay like twenty five hundred and come work at the store and be interviewed in the film. There's four of those. Oh, is there? So theoretically, somebody could pay for like half the movie just by like doing that for a family of four. Oh, that'd be yeah. lovely. And that'd be fun, because it'd be a whole family. <laughs> and it'd be a family of, you know, somebody with a lot of money. So yeah, right. You know, Josh Wheaton. So <laughs> can't wait. Can't wait for him to come work for free. Oh, he's got the money. You're right. Why am I giving it to him for free? <laughs> <laughs> I've got such a bourgeois attitude towards life. It's because you, it's because you own Walmart. I mean, it's... You're right. Oh, we are all They'll never give me that money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's going to be fun. We'll, we'll get people out to come work at the store and we'll film it. It'll be a whole, you know, a fun experience. Yeah. Somebody get them a Nantag and why they wanted it. Yeah. 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 Those Nantags are sweet. Yeah. They're magnetic. Really cool. Oh, really? Mine was a pin, but that was, like I said, like 10 years ago plus. So. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I, I still have my, uh, my name Lariat from when I was a shift leader at Hollywood Video, so. Wow. We don't speak of Hollywood Video. Yeah. Well, one of, one, one of the things that I've been talking about is like using our, using our Facebook page to just create like a virtual hit, a museum of like all the video store crap that I can find and just scan and upload. That sounds fun. So I've been like buying, you know, I, I bought a lot of like 20 VHS and DVD from Blockbuster the other day just so that I could like grab the box art and all that kind of crap. So. Yeah, I've been doing that too. We've, I've, we've got quite a collection now of DVD VHS just in that Blockbuster cover that, you know, for props for the movie. But yeah. So it's weird. I have a weird collection of movies now. <laughs> I, I never thought I would own, you know... Do you have a favorite? There you go. Do you have a favorite like blockbuster exclusive movie? Oh, I don't remember. What was the blockbuster exclusive movie? They had a bunch of like direct to DVD movies that were exclusive to Blockbuster. The only one I remember because I have it sitting on my desk is a documentary about the Dixie Chicks called Shut Up and Sing. That was a blockbuster exclusive. It was, yeah, or at least the version that I have on my desk. I have a copy of that on DVD in my binder of DVDs. My wife made me get rid of all the cases. <laughs> well, I, I do have that movie, so I guess that's my favorite blockbuster. There you go. My my thing is, I, I wanted to sit around one of these days and just get drunk and play the blockbuster board game that they had. Uh, if you do that, make sure we're there to film it for our movie. That sounds lovely. Yeah. Well, it, it, I'll bring the Jägermeister. <laughs> if you guys want to come out to Syracuse, you're more than welcome. Unfortunately, it's it. If I if I could get out if I could afford to get out to Bend I would I would blow that money on uh, on coming and working at the store with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, it's such an interesting thing because there's 
the videos themselves are a physical artifact in a way that it's very difficult to find other stuff without dropping a bunch of money because it's like nobody has that many like blockbuster you know name tags and uniforms and like coffee mugs and all that crap sitting around the house anymore and so to me it's it's interesting that like the you know you, you call them props because you're actually making a film where you need props but that's almost kind of what most of the blockbuster DVDs have become now is like you have people who like this is an affect of like oh well I've got a bunch of video, rental store discs yeah, it's a little bit like that, too, when people are coming into the store now and they look around and they're just fascinated to touch movies. You know, that's not a thing people do anymore. So one of my favorite things from making this uh, doc is when we're interviewing someone and we get to the end of the interview and we hand them one of the blockbuster video cases mm-hmm. and the expression on their face. It's like that yeah. just converted them into a child. Right, the wonder and excitement—it's really a wonderful thing to see. All right, that seems like a perfect place to wrap up uh, in terms of having a good soundbite for the end of the interview. I think a good soundbite for the end of the interview is that we're on Kickstarter right now. Kickstarter.com search for Blockbuster, and you can go to LastBlockbusterMovie.com for some more information. Sign up for our mailing list, and you get all the first looks at everything we're doing. Yeah, and that, uh, like I said, that link will be in the show notes for the podcast, which will exist this time, because the podcast will exist this time. And uh, and then, yeah, the next couple of days, there will be a story at comicbook.com where you can click through that link there, too. Thank you, guys. There's something that I'll never get over from VHS. There was something so magical about those tracking lines and the FBI warnings starting up. And When I was growing up, I loved movies. And I wanted to be in movies. And the closest I could come to working in movies was working at Blockbuster because it had all the new releases. It felt like it was like a direct through line to Hollywood. Nobody has the movie I want. Hey, if it's on video, Blockbuster probably has it. I mean, we have over 10,000 videos. Wow. I kind of look at these and I'm like, oh, there you are. Like, you were my first love. A-C-E-N.